You ever wondered if you're asked the question, how would you define ordinary? Maybe there's a face that would come to mind or a particular understanding of somebody, their characteristics, but if we were really going to define what ordinary looks like and feels like, I imagine if we kind of passed around a paper and had everybody write it down, we wouldn't come up with the same answer. I mean, there would be some similarities, but really I believe that you probably see ordinary different than the next person because ordinary looks like us. It acts like us. And everybody that doesn't is not ordinary. They're either weird or they're extraordinary. And in this passage that we're going to spend time in, in Romans 12, as we spend the next four weeks in Romans 12 together, I want you to join with me in this search of the art of being unordinary. How do we break free from the norm? How do we change what this looks like, what this in the mirror feels like. And I can tell you how you know if you believe everybody else is weird comparatively. Because we all have this same thing in mind, judgment. It's what we give to everybody that doesn't act, look, or think like we do. We tell a lost world, you are weird because you don't look like me. And Romans 12 really starts with a recap. You see, Romans 1 through Romans 11 in our Bibles talks about how extravagant God's love is for his people. How much God loves you, cares for you, and plans a path for you. Romans chapters 1 through 11 is powerful for a a young Christian or a seasoned Christian alike. We all need Jesus desperately. And the more we spend time with him, the more we realize our desperate need. And so we get to Romans chapter 12, and it starts with this word, therefore. You see it in your Bible, Romans 12, 1, therefore. That is a recap word of Romans 1 through 11. It's a chance for you and I to encapsulate all that we've read so far through Romans and to go, aha, Because of Romans 1 through 11, therefore, let's read it together. Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we look at this passage, when we see that therefore, it sets us on a journey, a quest, an understanding. But to really capture this this morning, I hope you'll do this with me. Just leave your finger there in Romans 12 and let's jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with the first verse. I want you to see this this morning. Because we want to capture this fullness of God's love, his passionate pursuit of his people. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace. Have you heard that yet? Through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We are people of mercy. Listen, if you don't capture this, uh, anything else in the sermon, I hope you'll capture this one thing to take home with you. You and I do not deserve any part of Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God gives it richly. And listen, this is the argument we have to play for today. Romans 1 through 11, don't forget, tells us how much God loves us and poured himself out for us. Therefore, and this is what we must assess, we must assess our view of the mercy of God. Do we believe that his mercy is really merciful? Well, this is how we know it. We just read it in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were enemies of God. We didn't deserve any part of him. We deserved wrath. And even those that are still living in it, we can remember that. We can remember what it felt like to pursue ourselves and not Jesus. We can remember what it was like to live for sin and not for him. And because of that, even though God knew that in you and I, he sends Jesus and is merciful that he would even give Jesus at all. Because according to Ephesians 2, we were enemies with God and we didn't deserve it. There's nothing in Jesus that we deserved greatness from. Only he gives himself for us. Therefore, because of that, we have got to evaluate, is God's mercy good? Here's the problem with that equation. It doesn't matter what we think, it's good. God's mercy is great, regardless if we love it or not, regardless if we partake of it or not. His mercy is good. Listen, when April and I were young married, we had this couple come to us at our church. And they said, hey, by the way, we just booked you half of a cruise. You are coming with us. April and I had no money. We, I mean, there's no way. So we're like, sweet. So we stayed up and we went. And that first day, if you've ever been on a cruise and you walk into the buffet line, you just kind of look and go, wow, I'm going to get fat. And we looked through it all and we went, I want this and I want that. There's things I'll never touch. My wife makes good meatloaf. No one else does. It's just a, a fact of the matter. She knows how to make it. God bless you for pursuing that. But, hey, Mom, because she'll watch this tomorrow, better. Anyways, um, <laughs> she knows. She knows. Um, but listen, on a cruise ship, people get meatloaf. And I look at them and go, why? 
You know why? Because it's good for them. They love it. It's like liver and onions. Anybody eat liver and onions in the room? Shame on you. Y'all walk the aisle at the end of the service. That is not good. Liver is, listen, liver is what you throw out. It's kind of like gizzards. Just even the name gizzards is not good. It's like, hey, I bumped my knee. I've got a gizzard. That's what it looks like and sounds like. But when you're at the cruise and you're looking at all this food and you're starting to go, this is so good. But can any of us eat it all? There's no way. Now you can try at it. I've seen people try at it. I mean, I've seen people try. It's the people that have like four plates on their first run. I'm like, listen, you're going to need to walk a little bit. Go back. But they'll just, they put all the plates out and they go, hmm, this is so good. Then they go back. You see, the greatness of God's mercy is this. You can't even hope to take it all. You could try at it. You would never achieve it. God's grace and God's mercy always outweighs the fullness and deepness of your sin. Not even equivalent. So what do we do with that? How do we deal with God's mercy being that great and that good even when we don't deserve it? What do we do? And we get this, that the author of Romans says, you should do something about that. You should give your life towards it. That's what it's going to require of us. It's not going to require walking an aisle. It's not going to require joining a church. It's not going to require going on missions. It's not going to require going to youth camp. It's going to require your life. Your life in exchange for his. Our lives should serve a live, as a living sacrifice to God. How do you know when somebody finally falls in love with Jesus? They'll give their life for it. They give everything for it. They would do away with everything. They would give anything. They would go all in for it. That's how you know. That's the marker of it. How do you know when somebody falls in love with Jesus? They quit falling in love with themselves. What's on the other side of the mirror doesn't matter because it can't last. They would gladly extinguish their lives for the sake of Jesus being known. How do we do something with the mercy of God? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I plead with that urge word is almost like a screaming out to pay attention. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Listen to what it says. Holy and pleasing to God. Holy and pleasing is the aim of the Christian experience. It's the aim. What should we be pursuing as Christians? To be holy and pleasing to God. How do we do it? Give yourself away. Give yourself completely to God. Quit holding on. I was one of those kids that grew up not knowing how to swim very well. It took me a long time. I was deathly afraid of swimming. I believe it's because I nearly drowned as a young child that I just didn't like to be where my feet couldn't touch. And so I was the kid that was way too old to be playing in the shallow end. I would convince my friends that we could have a whole lot more fun playing where we could touch. And they eventually would say, let's go jump off the diving board. And I would do something like, oh, I've got a cramp. I've got to sit out, guys. And I would sit on the side and go, I'm never going to learn to swim. And so my dad finally broke over one day and he said, Kyle, I, 
I got you swim lessons at the pool this summer. It's early in the day. You'll learn to swim, and then at evening, you can go back to the pool and play with your friends. And I showed up to my swimming lessons there in Crosbyton, and I was there with kids about three or four years younger than I was. So it was them and me. And I remember that the, the lifeguard that trained us was like a teenager, and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do day one. I'm going to teach you how to put your face in the water and kick and swim. So I'd hold these little kids up and go, go. Oh, you're doing so great. You're doing so great. Then they got to me and said, go. You're doing terrible. Why? You're not drowning. I've got you. And it took days. And then they took us to the deep end and they got us out on the diving board. They said, you're going to jump to me. And then when you jump, I'm going to take just two feet back and you're going to swim to me. Which meant for about two feet, I was going to drown. So I'm standing on the end of the diving board, and I'm not even going to lie, I got scared and walked off. I was like, nope. I got off the diving board, and I stood there, and this little, like, two-year-old girl goes, yep, kaboosh. And I was like, really? So then there's me, standing on the diving board. Okay. But I learned something. You can't learn to swim unless you get your face wet. You got to go all in. You never learn to swim by standing on the side of the pool going, yeah, I've got this down. I'm the best swimmer ever. you got to get in. But too often, we believe that to follow Jesus, we can do everything but dive in with him. And that is not the gospel truth. You have to go completely in and die to yourself. And that's a hard truth. Okay, Kyle, how do you die to self? Like, do we physically like have to, to, to like become a Christian? Here's what it does take. You have to kill off your desires for his. You have to kill off our intentions for his. We have to kill off our plans for his. We have to put off our comfort for his. Everything that we can build up for ourselves I'm a self-made man has got to die to be a self-made Christian in Christ. How do you make yourself a Christian? You ever wondered that? Like, we sing about it. I am a C. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-S-T-I-N. And I am C-H-R-S-T-M-H-A-R-T. And I love it. Okay, I can't spell the rest of that. Anyways, I got that far, and it was great. Um, but here's how. You come to know Christ through faith and obedience. Faith is the ability to realize that when you jump, he will be there. Obedience is the ability to go, here I come. You know the trouble with jumping as a Christian is that most people will do what I do when I go to the pool now with my kids. We do this. That's cold. Nope, not going to happen. That's not going to happen. It's just not, not going to be me. That's what I do. I test the water. And I'm like, eh. I, I've already told you all why I don't swim at public pools, right? So I, I'm just not going to do that. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm-mm. Nope. And Jesus is waiting. And he's saying, come on. <laughs> Listen. You can't die here without me. I am the lifeguard. I preserve you. I made you. 
I will never let you down. And too many of us come to Jesus and we jump in and we start thrashing around and saying, Jesus, where are you? And he says, stop thrashing. Stop. Stop. I'm right here. But you don't know what I'm going through, Jesus. And he's like, I can see you. I'm right here. The hardest thing about being a lifeguard is this, is that when somebody is drowning, they want to drown you. But the funny thing about Jesus is this, he is not an ordinary lifeguard. He's an anchor. He is a fortress. He is a savior. He doesn't let you just drown. He watches and waits and says, I know you're thrashing around. Too often we look like this when we come to Jesus like that kid who's holding on to that life thing and his feet are up screaming out, I'm going to drown. And Jesus goes, put your feet down. You're standing on me. Put your feet down. You're not going to drown. And he pushes our feet down and he goes, because you're on me. You see, we think like following Jesus is falling off the highest diving board. It's not. It's a complete jump into Jesus where he encapsulates us, and then we find ourselves on solid ground. Jesus wants to lead our lives, and he may use your life up completely to do so. I want you to hear something before we continue on. Following Jesus may, in fact, cost you your earthly life. It may cost you everything. It may cost you your breath, your blood, your livelihood, your everything. It very well may cost you everything. But what does this world have over him? Is it better than heaven? Is it better than his presence? Is it better than his peace? Because I can tell you all the times I've tried to build peace in my life out of stuff that I could put in has failed me. How about you? All the times that I felt like I'd built security has failed me. How about you? Because I can tell you today, you can have the greatest alarm system on your house. Doesn't mean you're not going to get stolen from, does it? You can have all the money in your bank account, but if, if the stock market crashes, we're all kind of ruined, aren't we? I mean, we can build our hope in our homes and our cars, but that takes fire and it's gone. We can build our hope in our families, but we know that there is no certainty in tomorrow, so that will fail us. Everything that this world says is powerful. How about this one? You could be the most well-known person on the planet. Listen, does everybody know every name of every president we've ever had? Anybody have a, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes, something hanging on their house, you know, up on their house? Do we care anymore? How about this one? Unless our students have done this as a report, they have no idea who Eisenhower is. So let's remind ourselves that even being known fades. So everything that this world is calling on you to become will fade on you except for one, Jesus. When I was a kid, we went to a little church in Alvarado, Texas. I don't remember it like it's yesterday. The church, we had to work on it. Uh, they didn't have a parsonage, so we bought one. We had to work on that as a family. I remember going out there and painting walls and vacuuming up just terrible things. The people that owned the house before us had goats inside. Um, 
You had to watch where you stepped because the house had scorpions. That sounds fun, huh? Not spiders. Those are scorpions. Those are spiders with fists. I hated that house. I didn't have any friends around. Had a little dog. That's about it. And a lawnmower that I got to ride all the time mowing the grass there. But I can tell you what I know about that little church. We baptized people there. People got saved there. We saw people who had devastating family things going on come there and got, got to see God just absolutely heal those moments in their life. And you know how many people came to that church? Forty. Did God not love that church? Because if he loved it, it had to be 500, right? Or he couldn't love it. God would never leave that church at 40. It had to be unhealthy. It had to be wrong, right? Here's the thing. When those people came to worship, they didn't come for the number. They didn't come for the songs. They didn't come for the sermon. They came to that church because Jesus showed up there. You see, true worship only occurs in surrender. That's what we come to worship for. I can remember hearing the people sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to him, my precious Jesus. I surrender all. So what happens to Christians? What happens to Christianity? What's happened to Christianity? If Christianity, like scholars are believing, is dying off in this generation, that my kids' kids' generation will see less churches on less corners than ever. What happened? What happened is that the church quit looking like Jesus and became to looking like the world. And lest we forget that this is not a current cultural problem, as some would like you to believe. They would like you to believe that it's just the state of the current church. Romans 12, verse 2, but don't be conformed to this age. You see, here's the issue. There's an equation in here. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed. Conformity and transformation are both choices. We have the option to be transformed or to conform, but nothing else. There's no other options in this passage. There is not a quasi-anything. It is either conformity or transformation. And what we get in Romans is this. You can either be conformed and look like this world and act like this world and get its, get its output. And let me tell you what this output of this world looks like. Fame, fortune, and knowledge. They want you to believe that you're smarter, wealthier, and more known than anybody else on the planet. But the smartest people on our planet are the most foolish, isn't it? Have you heard them? Let me give you some answers to this. I don't know if you've ever heard scientists talk about the age of our planet. Millions upon millions of years ago. And they'll dig up some fossil and they'll say, this thing is a million years old. Until the cameras leave. And then they start to really look at how old it is, and it's never that old. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. 
And I believe the moment he breathed it into existence, it began. And from that point on, I believe the world had a choice. Conformity to the ways of this world or transformation into the likeness of Jesus. C.S. Lewis says it like this. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird, but would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining in the egg. We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely just being ordinary, decent eggs. You must be hatched or go bad. You must conform or be transformed. Those are the options. And the world is waiting to see, do followers of Christ really change? Does it make any significant difference when someone really surrenders to Jesus or doesn't? They're wanting to to know, do Christians act differently than the world does? And frankly, they don't see any difference. You and I are not supposed to be ordinary. We're supposed to be transformed. We're not supposed to be okay. We're supposed to be called into his likeness. Listen, at some point, we had to have a moment like Spurgeon where he said, do I carelessly, do I live as carelessly and worldly as unbelievers? Uh, professing to be a follower of Jesus. If so, I'm exposing Christianity to ridicule and leading people to speak evil of the holy name by which I am called. At some point in our lives, we have to have that egg moment. Will I emerge and look like Jesus or go bad in the egg? And I don't know if you've ever broken a soured egg before. It doesn't let you know until you break it what really happened. But you break it open, and it'll let you know, won't it? It's not just the sight. It's the what? Ooh, it's the smell. It's the smell. And according to the Bible I read, we are to have a smell. We're to be the aroma of Christ. And if we're not that, we are the aroma of hell. There is no other options. We either look like him or we look like the world. And if y'all are scholars, and I can tell you, if you want to spend some time talking to somebody about end time events, revelation, Brother Jimmy Phillips is back there. I can promise you, I call him on the phone every so often. I'm just grateful he answers the phone because I have questions sometimes. And man, he's so gracious to answer. But he would agree with this. This world that we're on will not last. It's not going to last. God's going to do away with it. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And that process, he's going to renew us. But listen, we all will take our last breath. We're all going to do that. We're all at one point going to be changed by God at one point. Unless he tarries, man, if he comes back, praise God, I, I hope the Lord comes back soon. If he doesn't. May we all burn so brightly that the world is gathered around. Listen, here's the last part of the scripture. There's a reason we need to be transformed. It says this at the end of this, um, verse 2, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We cannot discern God's will without a renewed mind. The hardship is this. We all want God to lead us. 
We all want God to hold us and keep us and make us and renew us. But to do that, we have to have a moment of death and renewal. We all have to have that moment of leaping and understanding. And we live in a day where following Jesus is more so of a gym membership than it is a death and a burial and a resurrection. A few weeks back, Dale baptized one of our sisters here at the church. And I don't know if you heard it, but while he is up there, he said, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, I get to baptize you as my sister. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism. And then what does he say? Raised to walk in the newness of life. When did that take place? When did the newness of life begin? In the surrender in her heart. At that point, you have to make a decision. And I, I believe that we have watered down salvation so much that I believe it carries little weight now in our society. And maybe you need to have this moment of renewal and clarity today. Salvation comes when people give their lives away to Jesus. All their sin, all their shame, all their good, all their future, everything about them completely surrendered to Jesus. And what he does in that moment is he removes the sin from us. He has to see us dead so that he can pull the wrong out of us. And so that he can renew us in Christ and raise us up like him. Why is it that after years and years of following after Jesus, we don't seem any closer to him? Because we have not died to self yet. You must be born again. That's the words that Jesus gave that night to the Pharisee. He says, listen, you can't go on like you are. So I want to end like this. Today, you can't go on like you are. You cannot follow Jesus half-heartedly. You will give yourself away to the world. You know why we know that? Because conformity is so much easier. Transformation requires the death of us. But it's the better option. If I could plead with you as a pastor, and let me just tell you, if I could give money away for people to come to know Christ, I would have nothing. I promise you, I'd give it all. Because all I know is this, if I could get you to take a step towards Jesus and surrender, and he would save your soul, that is my heart's desire. That is the heart's desire of this church, is that you would know Jesus. But the hardship is this, we cannot make you. But I wish I could. I wish I could bring you up close and so you could see how Jesus changed my life. So you could see how he has saved me and so you could see how rich his mercy is in my life. And so that you could see all those things in yours. Today, my pleading with you is this, that you would capture that moment with Jesus. There was this church service, and it was a, a church that everybody in town said was the old church. You know, that's where all the old people go is what the townspeople said. But in town that day was a young man that was needing direction. He had lost everything. He lost his job, he lost his family, he, he lost it all. He had 
worked from one town to the next trying to find small jobs. And this particular day, he made it into this town and he saw the old church. He walked in and like typical small churches, everybody sat in the back. So he had to walk all the way up to the front, sat three rows deep. He heard the songs he could remember as a child. He closed his eyes as he sang. Well, the pastor preached an impassioned message about how Jesus can save us from ourselves if we'll surrender completely to him. It touched his heart. He remembered giving his life to Jesus at children's camp growing up. He wondered where Jesus was today. At the end of the service, they passed an offering plate, and you know, all the eyes in the back of the room were focused on this young man. People began to talk and say things like, I wonder if he's going to steal money out of the plate. They began, the organ began to play, the piano player, and they began to pass the plate. First row went through, second row went through, third row came to him, and the young man just dropped the plate on the ground. And then he stood in it. And he said, I don't have any money, Lord, but I give you me. wonder how many of us would say that today. Lord, I don't have much to give, but I'll give you me. Lord, I may not be the shiniest or the brightest or the best, but you got all of me, Lord. This is all I can give. You see, the amazing thing about that is this. When we give ourselves to Jesus, we get all of him. So today... You can be conformed to the ways of this world. You can be ordinary. Or you can start to practice the art of being unordinary. And follow Jesus with all your life. And that's my prayer for you. That you would know Jesus. Let me pray. Father in heaven, Lord, in light of your great mercy, all the things you do on our behalf, Lord, the times that you've spared us, the times you've protected us and healed us, spoken on our behalf and moved mountains on our behalf that we will never know until heaven. We thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you for the life of Jesus who is broken and beat up and and whipped and, Lord, killed on our behalf. Lord, because of our sins, wait, we needed a great Savior. We needed a sacrifice that would cover us forever, and that was Jesus. God, we thank you that Jesus didn't just die on a cross. That would have made him ordinary. But he was anything but ordinary. He lives. And today we can trust our lives. We can dive off the deep end. We can jump in knowing full and well you're there. And Lord, in those moments that we forget that and we begin to thrash, Lord, remind us you're with us. Lord, for my friends in this room who have never given you their everything, I pray that today they would no longer hold on, but they would jump in. Lord, I praise you for what you're going to do in their lives. Lord, because I'm grateful for what you've done in mine. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. These next few moments is what we call the invitation. And it it looks like this. Here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song.
you're going to have an opportunity to where you are to pray and to say, God, I want to give you my everything. And maybe today you would take that next step in that. Because I love to celebrate people giving Jesus their everything. I love it. So I want to know, if you today are saying, you know what, Kyle, that's me. I want to give Jesus my everything for the first time in my life. I want to celebrate with you. In fact, I want to let this whole church know because we all want to celebrate with you. So don't be afraid. Come talk to me. I would love to visit with you about that. Today, maybe you would come and just pray. Maybe we'd start this new way of doing things at our church where we diligently pray during invitation for people to come to know Jesus. Let's do battle on the ground today. Are you ready? This is a time of invitation. And I invite you to come. Come and know Jesus today. You ready? Stand with me as we sing.